Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, before we get to this week's episode, my guest and I referenced several UFO videos in great detail in our conversation. So if you're just listening to the audio version of this, I do want to let you know that the full episode is also available in video format over on the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel. I've included the actual UFO videos we talk about in the video version. So if you want more context and to see some really compelling UFO footage, I'll link it in the show notes or just head over to YouTube and type in Ryan Sprague. The channel should show up. And with that, enjoy the episode. Today on the show, New York Post reporter, documentarian, and host of the Basement Office web series, Stephen Greenstreet. I'm not here to convince you that what this pilot saw that zipped over his plane is an alien. I'm here to convince you that he saw something unidentified. Neither he, the FAA, the military, the people who are supposed to know, don't know. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. So I'm really happy to have you here. When I first saw your show over at the New York Post, I was like, this is this is the kind of stuff I love. I love seeing people tackle the topic of UFOs in such a, a serious manner. I mean, I, I feel like that ridicule factor is shedding, and we can definitely talk about that. Um, but first and foremost, I, I got to get uh, the origin story from you. How did you first get interested in UFOs to begin with? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and uh, I'm a 90s kid, so I... Uh, Obviously, the X-Files was like – that was my thing in the 90s was the X-Files. But um, if I remember correctly, I was actually – I would go to the library when I was 10, 11 years old. And I remember renting Crash at Corona, which is about the Roswell crash. Right, yep. And I remember uh, renting uh, Bud Hopkins books, which you know, Bud Hopkins wrote a series on alien abductions, you know, real cases – of uh, people claiming to have been abducted by aliens. And I, I remember being 10 or 11 and reading those books. So I think it, I think it started back then. Wow, yeah. I, rem- I think Crash of Corona was actually the first UFO book I got my hands on, too, at the library. So yeah. there's got to be something to that, man. Thank you, Stanton Friedman, first and yeah. foremost. Um, well, before we even get to the basement office, which is kind of the focus of the interview, this um, web series that you created... Uh, I know you had a UFO sighting, and if you're willing to talk about it, I would absolutely love for you to share that with our audience. It's strikingly similar 
to my own experience. So I want to hear it from your mouth first before I uh, before I say anything. But yeah, would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, totally. Um, so this is 2003. I was living in Utah. I was working at, I was going to Brigham Young University at the time. And the LDS Church has a film studio, a couple's huge sound stages. They film multi-million dollar movies there. I was a PA, which is basically a grunt uh, coffee getter uh, at the time, um, you know, my beginning stages. And uh, this one particular night, uh, I, my job was to guard the door outside the sound stage. So uh, make sure no one comes in while we're filming. So it's night. I'm standing outside of the sound stage forever. And, you know, my mind was drifting. I was, you know, bored and something caught my eye. And so I looked up and it was a triangle like this, not not like, uh, you know, F-117 size, but more, you know, a wider triangle. And it was uh, going from south to north at a relatively slow speed. So at first I thought balloon, maybe a um, blimp, uh, but the size of it didn't make sense for a blimp. Uh, there were uh, low clouds that you could see the stars through the clouds, and they were very low and zipping across at high speed. And this sucker was under the clouds. It wasn't above the clouds. I could see it. So only about 1,000 feet up. And so as my, mind is, as my mind is processing what I'm looking at, I, I go, oh, right. I was at an air show a couple years ago, and I saw the B-2s. This is, that's pretty sweet. The Hill Air Force Base is right down the road. It's a B-2. And then as it got right above me and went past, it didn't make a single sound. Nothing. And that's when my emotions and adrenaline started flowing because I, I'm used to that auditory connection to an airplane, right? My whole life, auditory connection to an airplane in the sky. And when my brain didn't receive that auditory connection, my brain started to go haywire a little bit, like something's wrong, something's not right. And my breathing, I remember my heart started pounding, and I, 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 it was like a little bit of a panic. And it disappeared off into the horizon, and the red light, I remember the red light above the door went bing, which means it uh, or went off. The red light above the door went off, which means open the door, come in, you know, to the film. So I kind of like snapped out of it and, you know, went in to do my job. And I was still in a daze, and I went up to my assistant director, and I said, Hey, I think I just saw a UFO. And they were like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, 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 really, I'm being serious. I think I just did. And everybody's in their space. I didn't have anybody to talk to in that moment about my sighting. I think I told a handful of people, you know, close to me at the time about it, but because they weren't there, they couldn't, they didn't have any emotional reaction to it. And then I just kind of like went on with my life uh, until I started the basement office where I got to, you know, talk about it with Nick Pope. And at that moment, when I was talking about it with Nick Pope, it was like all those emotions just kind of like came back. Right. Yeah. It's crazy how these things happen. So I, I do want to share full disclosure. I had a UFO sighting that was almost identical to what you're describing. Triangular formation. I didn't see a structure like a machine or anything. I just saw the, you know, sort of that formation. And yep. it, this was in upstate New York in 1995. So, I mean, this was a while ago. And you, you mentioned you were child of the 90s. I was listening to Green Day on a Discman when I saw mine. <laughs> and I just remember the same thing, man. I, I took my headphones off because I saw this thing above me. And all I could hear was like I was 
off a body of water. I was fishing, and all I could hear was like the water hitting the dock, and I could hear Green Day on my headphones, like twenty feet away, because I whipped the headphones off, and no noise whatsoever. So it, I don't know what to make of that, but the way you describe how you felt during it and um, kind of what was going on is so similar. And I, I don't know if it's because we saw the same thing or this is just a h- human reaction to these things. We don't know how to process it. But yeah, man, it, it's it was crazy when you when you relayed that story in your show. I was just like sitting there glued to it like, oh, my God, is he going to say the same thing? Like yeah. that I experienced too. So I don't know. There's got to be something to it. Let me let me ask you the object you saw. What sort of speed would you estimate it was moving at? Super slow. I mean, when I when I first saw it, it was right above me, just floating. It wasn't moving when I first saw it. It was just above me. I don't know. Okay. I don't know how many feet up or anything like that. Um, but I was at a motel and my dad was inside. I could see him inside. So I start yelling for him, and he actually came out and saw the thing with me. So I had another witness. Um, The funny thing is, though, when I yelled for him to come in, that's when it started moving over the water, super slow. And Mm -hmm. um, Canada was right on the other side of this, the St. Lawrence River in New York. And uh, I just remember he came out, and it was coasting over the water and headed right towards Canada, and then disappeared. You know, the... Part of my brain, as I said in the show, still wants to believe it was a human-made, you know, top-secret, black project, something of, of that nature. Uh, as I said, you know, Hill Air Force Base is driving distance from my sighting. Area 51 is directly to the west of Utah there. Uh, and so I was trying to triangulate, you know, where could this thing could have come from. So part of my brain still is open to the fact that it was, you know, some top secret human new technology thing. But it's the it's the science, man, like to keep a, a, a large structure in the air at slow speed or no speed. You need an incredible amount of energy and that energy makes noise. Right. And, you know, and. I didn't hear that noise. And so that means something new. Yeah. Something that we haven't seen before, you know, that we don't know about. It means something uh, fantastic. I feel the same way. I feel like whatever I saw was probably man-made because it it just seemed that way to me. I mean, I was 12 when I saw this. Did you, did you take a photo of it? No. No, I had nothing, man. Nothing. Yeah, but did you think in your mind as you're observing this, oh, I must run and grab my camera? No, no, I no. was... No, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. And that that is, we do hear that from a lot of witnesses. Like, you're so in the moment, and um, no, I was frozen there. Like, I was petrified. So I think that's what kept me there more than anything. And, like, those things weren't going through my head. I wanted my dad, and that's why that was, like, my first reaction was I, I wanted a parent to come protect me from whatever the hell this thing was um well you did mention the basement office i definitely want to touch on this with you um what inspired you to create the basement office i mean was this something you'd always been working on um did the new york post come to you how did this all come to be yeah the new york post uh, i work at the new york post the, the new york post came to me and said hey you know what uh we've noticed on youtube and on site a lot of people are clicking and searching for UFO stories, uh, especially lately, as 
you know, one can assume why, you know, wonder why everyone's suddenly interested in UFOs. Um, could, should, maybe we should do a series, like a video series on UFOs. And I'm at work, I'm known as like the UFO guy. Like everyone kind of knows, oh, Steve knows about UFOs. Go ask him. Um, and I, and so they were like, uh, you know, pitch something. So I, I came up with the concept of basically um, I didn't want to do a History Channel travel discovery type UFO show where it's like, in 1995, a group of citizens looked up the <laughs> overproduced, like cinematic uh, escapism, like infotainment. I didn't want to like beat people over the heads. I wanted to just I, I just pictured Mulder's office. From the X Files, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. The desk and me talking to experts and analyzing the facts and anything that doesn't can't be proven or anything that has nothing to back it up. Let's acknowledge that and move it to the side and let's just focus on what we know and what we can prove. Because honestly, I think that's the scarier stuff, not the conspiracy theories, but the cold hard facts. Like when you look at radar data and police audio or radio audio and you know pilot and military and government testimony that's the stuff where it starts to like blow your mind you know so that was like the general concept two people at a desk talking about the facts about ufos yeah it's the perfect pitch i mean i mean you could tell by the amount of views you got on the the series like this is something people want especially since the New York Times story broke about this and we'll get into that um but you did mention nick pope now this guy is the real-life Mulder, and he's a hero in the quote-unquote UFO field. So how did you get hooked up with this guy, and um, yeah, how did that all come about? Yeah, so originally, I had the idea I had was each episode I would have a a different co-host. Like, each episode would have, like, a guest, and uh, we emailed and sent invites out to people asking if they were interested. Nick was one of the first ones to respond that he was interested. We flew him out. And right off the bat, I was like, wait, no, he has to stick around for all the episodes. Because <laughs> he was just, he was so great. Like, not not just on and off camera, but super smart. And, like, our chemistry, like, you could tell, like, we bounce off each other really well. And I said, no, Nick has to be, like, the co-star of this show. <laughs> And he he agreed. He was like, great, let's do it. And so that was like a blessing. Like, really, like he helped make the show what it what it is. Right. And for my listeners and viewers who don't know, this dude was the head of the MOD UFO desk. So, I mean, he was who people went to to investigate these in terms of how the British dealt with this topic, yeah. which oh. is um, an interesting correlation to how America deals with it as well. So, I mean, you pick the right guy and help. Let's be honest. A British accent just ups the quality of everything, right? The uh, oh. the elegance and the uh, eloquence, I guess, is the right word. Oh, totally. He 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 adds a um, a, a refined touch. Right, right. Now, <laughs> I think when you first started the series, you kind of caught up the viewers with what was going on. So this New York Times story breaks about a secret UFO program having gone on. Uh, the public didn't know about this. So I want to get your initial thoughts on this, Stephen. Like, when this story broke, I don't know about you, but I was, like, dumbfounded. I've been studying UFOs since I was, like, 13 or 14 years old. And 
we all thought Project Blue Book was the last time that the government was investigating UFOs. So this comes out of nowhere, and like very few people knew about it, and it just exploded. So what did you think when this story first broke? Were you like, this is it? We're, we're in disclosure now. I distinctly remembering click, uh, like seeing the article and, and then going, no way. And then I read a little bit of the article. I was like, wait, this is the New York Times? And I scrolled back to confirm it was the New York Times. And I was like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> and Politico and then CNN. And I was just blown away that the top – uh, media companies were covering this, not just like as a quick one-off, but like extensive articles, like well-researched, well-interviewed articles. That was different, you know, I think. And I, I think for those of us like already in the UFO world, in a way, um, it was more of a big deal. And I think your average layman was, was <laughs> honestly, the people I talked to who weren't really into it, they were like, wait, what? <laughs> You know, like, say that again. Like, yeah, yeah. The UFO, like, the New York Times just like blew the lid off the Pentagon's UFO program. Here are three videos you can look at and watch. And people were just like, "Wait, what's going on?" You know? Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of those videos that were released as well, um, we got three videos: the gimbal, the Tic Tac, and the uh, what was Go it? Fast. The Go Fast. Yeah. What's your favorite, man? I got to ask. Out of the three, what was like the one you found most compelling? Okay, so two – let me do two tiers. So first, I believe it's the go fast where the thing – you can see the water underneath of it and it's zipping super fast. And I love hearing the military men, you hearing their audio as they're observing it in the moment and their excitement and their adrenaline because these are guys that fly for a living. These are guys that observe fast things every day. And the fact that these guys are blown away by what they're looking at, it makes it more impactful. Because if it's blowing them away, then it must be something unique. Because that's their profession, you know? I'm sure they're hard to impress when it comes <laughs> to airplanes, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that one. But the story behind the, the semi-boring 2004 uh, Tic Tac video... Because honestly, the one minute that's been released, it's like, it's just there. I mean, it's just a blob. Right. But the context of that blob, the story behind it is just incredible. Like, it's it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around the, tr the, you know, the true story behind it. That is such a good point. I, I think this is where witness testimony is so important. We could have a million videos of things hanging in the sky or whatnot, uh, but until we have context for what actually happened, I, I think that's where the meat of it is. You know, we, we did get these videos, which, yeah, like you said, the Tic Tac one is pretty anticlimactic until, you know, it shoots off right at the end. But how long are these videos? I, I don't think anyone in the public has that knowledge yet of what are we not seeing in the videos that was caught. So in episode one of season two, the new, the new season that of the basement office, uh, we interview witnesses who were in the room and watched the raw footage of the Tic Tac video as it was happening. And they estimate anywhere between eight and 12 minutes. So while there's one minute released online, there's actually like nine, 10 minutes after that. 
that hasn't been released. And, you know, we know we, we learned in the last few months the Navy admitted that they have uh, classified slides, briefing slides on the Tic Tac. And they also said we have a classified video of the Tic Tac. So one has to assume, you know, connect the dots. They have a longer video. Someone's got it. Well, hopefully we'll... We'll get to see that someday. If not, we're. it's amazing that we're still talking about the same damn video like almost three years later now. But that's how these things work. We we just we'll take what we can get. And um, I know in your first episode as well, you talk about the best evidence that's out there. You know, you covered the Trent photos, um, the Brazil cases. You covered um, Chicago O'Hare, which is a case a lot of people don't talk about that often, which right. is blows my mind. It's one of the best ones out there. So yeah. did any other cases really stick out to you as being like, wow, this is a smoking gun that I think kind of faded into obscurity, I guess. Well, you bring up Chicago and I am still amazed at that case uh, because it's one thing to say, it's one thing for one person to say, oh, I saw a flying saucer above the airport, right? But when you've got pilots, flight attendants, air, you know, airport crewmen, seeing this and reporting the same thing, a disc hovering above highly controlled, highly sensitive airspace, uh, you, you have to start wondering what the heck were they looking at. And that's those are the cases that, that I gravitate towards where there's FAA tapes, FAA transcripts, uh, you know, pilot audio, um, uh, the cases that we cover in the basement office where you hear the pilots in the cockpit observing UFOs. And in one case, the pilot calls it a UFO. And these things are zipping like over their plane. They're almost ducking in the cockpit as this thing zips over. And it's like, is this, is this where we're at where we just kind of have to hope you know, something doesn't hit your plane. I mean, it, it, and you learn this is, these aren't isolated cases. The, the cases of uh, UFOs, unidentified flying objects, breaking into sensitive airspace, f- flying under, above, in front of our pilots. Uh, the, you know, the Navy just called it a safety hazard. The Navy within the Joe Gratisher with the Navy recently just called all you know a safety hazard. Okay, so what are you doing about it, man? <laughs> that know? is such a good point, Stephen. I mean, the ATIP, the secret Pentagon program, their sort of investigation was all based on a national security threat. Like, are these UFOs a threat to us? And I think you're right. When they're zipping past the pilots, or they don't know what to do about them, do I fire at this thing? Do I? Do I leave? Like, what do I do? Um, the threat almost seems more from us in terms of... Look look at cases like the Tehran incident of 1976. A pilot almost died trying to shoot at a UFO. And there are other cases where this has happened, where pilots have died trying to chase an unidentified flying object. So I do wonder, is the threat more with how we respond to these things? And that there is no protocol for it. And I start off by saying to a lot of folks, I'm not here to convince you that what this pilot saw that zipped over his plane is an alien. I'm here to convince you that he saw something unidentified. Neither he, the FAA, the military, the people who are supposed to know, don't know. That's all I want to convince you. And that 
that's a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The people that are supposed to protect American airspace, keep it safe, keep it clear of hostile or foreign or unidentified objects, uh, a lot's slipping through, the, through their fingers right now. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, and you covered so many cases, and you 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 had audio in there that I'd never heard before. Some of them were really, really eerie to hear. And another one of the things you talk about in the show, um, you showed video, you, you had audio from the base commander. This was the Rendlesham Forest incident. Like, oh, yeah. the mother load of, uh, it, it's Britain's Roswell, basically. Um, yeah. Now, had you known about this case prior to covering it with Nick on the show? I had not known the deep, nitty-gritty details. I knew it was Air Force. I knew it was a triangle that they had seen. Uh, basically, so I know Colonel Holt's – I knew Colonel Holt's story. Penniston's story I was I hadn't really heard about. I knew, like, the, the brass tacks of what happened in Rendlesham, but uh, – not, not the other stuff. Yeah, well, I definitely want to touch on that other stuff with you. I mean, so we have a case, 1980, UFOs seen over two joint military bases. Uh, now we've come to learn from the base commander that nuclear weapons were being housed on the base without Britain's knowledge, and the UFOs affected the, the nuclear... Or It's just, it's insane. It's insane about everything that happened with this case. Um, but one thing you covered in your show, which is one of the big game changers, I think, in this case, is the effects on the officers who saw this, who experienced it. And we're talking the John Burroughs story. Now, this guy had physical ailments occur after this, right? Yes. So, Oh my gosh, this blew me away. You can actually see my response in the episode that because of their interaction, proximity to the object that they saw, uh, they claimed that they received um, you know, physical ailments from that radiation, uh, whatever it may be. They, they were exposed to something. Now, that may sound like science fiction, but when medical records come up, U.S. senators get involved, uh, health insurance companies get involved, and when you're able to read with your own eyes, yes, they did receive trace amounts of radiation from this object, and yes, we are going to cover your health care costs because of that. I couldn't believe that. Like, I couldn't believe that there was a, an official acknowledgement of their interaction, of the military's interaction with a UFO. And because of that, uh, Air Force officers were hurt because of that. And you're just like, okay, so that's that's pretty solid proof, you know? Like, they, 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 didn't even, they didn't even work around, like, okay, let's put something else in writing. Like, okay, in the line of duty. You know? <laughs> or something like that. Like, it was like... Because of your encounter at Rendlesham in 1980, like, yeah, like, we acknowledge this happened to you and that you did get this ailment and we're going to help you pay for it. Wow. One of her maids in the Philippines was an Aswang. I felt like someone was choking me. I looked up and I saw it and I looked right at him. Nobody saw a single thing. And there's such thing as evil spirits. I believe that. Those very people who don't believe in something end up getting bit in the ass later on. 
Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. I'm Sapphire Sindalo, creator of the Something Scary web series and podcast, panelist on Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera, and now the host of Stories with Sapphire. It's a podcast where I share my personal exploration of paranormal phenomena through stories, interviews, and poems. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join me live every week on Twitch when I draw my episode thumbnail art. Head over to storieswithsapphire.com for more information. That's Sapphire, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E. Salamat and... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good night. You talk about proof. Now, there's another key player in this case, Jim Penniston, who was with John Burroughs during one of these events. And this is where things get a little murky, I think, for a lot of people who um, use this case to depend on in terms of documentation, um, how many people were involved. We have so many officers who've come forward to say that they experienced this. Um, Jim Penniston, he says that he touched the craft a code of some sort was downloaded into his brain and he's trying to decipher this now this is where it gets really science fictiony for me at least um i i struggle with this one man so I, i'd love to hear what do you think about you go from john burroughs senators fighting to get him health coverage for a life-threatening ailment from a ufo event to someone saying they now have a binary code downloaded into their brain so what do you make of this juxtaposition there with this case yeah. Okay. So, uh, if you notice in the basement office, we had Burroughs and Holt like in their own episode, and then we had a whole episode dedicated to Penison. <laughs> and we started that episode with a disclaimer of like, "Look, there is basically no hard evidence to like support this story. Like, we can't show you a document, a photo, video, audio, anything to prove that what he's saying is." Real, other than the fact that yes, he was there, he was there. We we know that. Uh, yes, you know we have the document of the statement he gave. You know, like that happened. But 
I was go- we were going to let him tell his story, you know, because he was there. He it's documented. He saw something. Um, we've got two credible witnesses that, you know, we're in the same place. So let's let him tell a story. But beyond that, it's a great story, but one you can't prove, but one you shouldn't like shut out either. Like you, you, you want to be sensitive, you know, and, and be like, you know, tell me your story. You don't want to like cut off people because like, Oh, show me a photo, you know, because I don't have a photo of my sighting, you know, like I don't have physical proof to prove to you that I actually saw what I saw, but I know I did, but I still want to tell my story. And so Peniston, you know, okay, let's hear your story. And, uh, I struggle with it as well. I mean, it would make a great movie. (laughs) Just say this about Rendlesham. He, he claims he touched this craft. He saw a flash of light and then, uh, images and he claims actually later on at his home, these images started playing almost like a hologram in front of his eyes, and he wrote these images down. Now, that sounds like um, a, a movie on the Sci-Fi Channel, but I start to think about, I start to observe. I'm like, does any technology exist today that we can see where something can be beamed into the human brain? And it turns out there is. The the, the military has a audio wave. It's basically a like a gun. This is real. That they can beam uh, audio or voices to your head. It's a, uh, if you Google this, this exists. The patent exists. The mill it's, it's out there. There's a, um, a ray, an invisible like ray gun or set. It's actually, looks like a satellite dish and they can beam audio to where you would hear it in your, in your head. And so I'm like, okay, I'm looking at a patent. I'm looking at the report that this exists this exists. Okay, so technology to beam something into someone's head exists. Okay? So, uh, in that sense, uh, his story becomes a little bit less crazy in that the technology to do that in an infant stage exists. That's a good point, man. I mean, until it's... um, Every every physicist or scientist who come out with these wacky theories... um, they're crazy until it's proven real. And I think that's the kind of world we live in now where a lot of these things we thought um, would never happen are happening and they've been happening for a while. So I, I agree with you. You know, Rendlesham remains one of the most credible UFO cases out there. Um, all the witnesses, most of them are still alive that we can talk to, which makes it different, you know, from the Roswells and stuff like that. I just want to say like, um, the Rendlesham has been attacked for being a hoax, a prank, um, etc. And I get that um, as a possibility, as a yeah, as a possibility. But Colonel Holt, uh, Holt, uh, I just I found him credible. Uh, we have the evidence of the audio of him out investigating, and there's no way around the fact that that sounds legit. You know, so. You have to be open to the possibility that it could be a hoax, embellished, exaggerated. But the evidence that exists, uh, the radiation, like it's something happened in those woods, man. <laughs> you know, I'm with you on that. I think right now I'm actually going to I'm going to play a little bit of that audio for the audience to hear. It's so eerie. So, yeah, I'm going to play that right now. Yes, it's right on Hasbat. Yeah. It's coming this way. Awesome. It is 
carefully. Come this way. See the two pieces of the train off. Yeah, so that that audio is pretty freaky. Um, but I want to move on to some more recent videos, actually, with you, Stephen. Now, this is one you brought to me that I had never seen before. So I feel like I'm failing as a quote-unquote ufologist. But yeah, tell us a little about this case out of Utah that you found. Okay, so there's this drone footage, I believe, out of Beaver, Utah, from a few years back from a like video film company. They were... From what I understand, testing a new drone or shooting footage of their drone of like landscapes and stuff, and they were out in the uh, in the plains near the mountain ranges in Beaver, Utah, and filmed a bunch of stuff. They come back weeks later. They're going through the footage and they see something zip by the camera, and they're like, "Wait, was that a bird or what was that?" They play it back and they keep playing it back and looking at it, and it gets weirder every time they look at it. And so they posted the clip. You know, and people, including myself, really started looking at it, you know, frame by frame. Was this a bird? Was this a bug? Yeah, okay, yeah, it was a bird. It looks like a seagull, something like that. But then you watch it again, and you're like, wait, is that coming out of the, from behind the mountain? It looks like it comes down through the valley and then turns and zips past the camera. And you keep watching, and you're like, yeah. And then uh, some. In like crazy people, and I give it like hats off to them. They went through and analyzed distance, size. So they went through. They found the exact location of where this was, the size of the trees, the size of the distance between the drone and the tree. And you can watch these videos online where they've drawn lines. This equals twenty five feet. This equals this much. The the height of the mountain. We know this mountain is this high. So and they triangulate. You know, speed, height, and distance into this huge mathematical thing. And when that's, when the math and the science is placed on screen, this sucker, you know, a bird or bug, that suddenly goes away. And you're like, okay, the size does change. You know, it gets bigger as it approaches. Okay, so what, what size does it change? We can estimate its speed now. And wow, it's like moving at like Mach 8, Mach 9. Uh, so what is this thing? And when you really look at this thing, man, I, it yeah. looks like tech. Yeah. In my view, it looks like a white little pill moving and okay. So is it CGI? Is some random video film company that shoots drone footage professionally? Did they decide we need some viral attention? Uh, let's put in a UFO. Why would you – I don't know. Why would you put something in that at first looks like a bird or a bug that isn't all immediately like, whoa, you know? Right. Uh, so it's it's subtle. So I'm open to that because a lot of CGI crap exists out there. Almost every day I see a new CGI UFO on Twitter. I'm like, oh, god damn it. You know, like just <laughs> stop this. You know, it's just murking the waters. But this case fascinates me because um, – the witnesses, uh, the sources, they seem legit. Um, the science behind it seems legit. And the speed, when you zoom in, you're able to the, – the, it's in super HD, this footage. When you zoom in, when it comes out of the mountain range, you can see it pivot. It pivots and then zips. And it matches when you listen to the eyewitness testimony of the Nimitz encounter and how that object was – 
you know, how it was moving and the speed at which it would move, incredible speeds and the way it would pivot and turn and, and zip. Uh, I just kept connecting those two. And that's, that's what I see in, in that footage, which I think is, went mostly underreported uh, because of just how subtle it is and how you can dismiss it. But uh, there is a video, and if you can find it, just to show a clip of how they've put the the math and science on distance and speed of everything that you're looking at. And there's no way to deny that that sucker isn't something flying in front of the lens like this. Its size changes as it approaches, and that's, like, amazing to me. Yeah. I love that footage. I, I When you brought it to me, I was really, you know, I'm always you know, hesitant about UFO videos. But when I saw it, my initial reaction was like, it's a bug. It's a bug. But then right. I did exactly what you said. And I went back and did it frame by frame. And you can literally see this thing coming from like behind the mountain range. Yeah. So that one, man, I, I'm so happy you brought it to me. I, I hope people will look into it more. And uh, the fact that these guys who shot the drone footage um, came forward with this and said, no, like, this wasn't, this wasn't like a bug, a bird. We see the shit all the time. So, yeah. like, that's enough for me to be like, there's something to this. Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah. Well, underreported was a good way to put it. Now, this next one for me is the most underreported UFO video to date. I mean, this thing blows the tic-tac, the go-fast out of the water, in my personal opinion. Um and I'm just going to read it here because it's a little convoluted, but this came from, um, supposedly, came from a Homeland Security uh, video. Uh, the object in the video, it was captured on thermal imaging. Uh, let's see, what else? This happened at the Rafael Hernandez Airport in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. So yeah, man, this one is, what What do you make of it? Had you heard about this case before? Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? Okay, so... I had heard about it. I had seen um, what I thought was the full video, but I apparently just saw a clip before. I didn't know the nitty-gritty details. Um, but let me just walk you through this video a little bit. <laughs> because um, the thing that's shocking is it apparently breaks airspace over the Rafael Hernandez Airport, you know, which is, you know, run by the FAA. You know, that's – it. Um, it, and so it it flies over an official uh, airport, the Rafael Hernandez Airport, and because it breaks through the airspace, is not responding to radio, doesn't have a transponder, planes on the ground are delayed. The airport shuts down because there something's in our airspace. It's not responding to radio. I mean that's that's creepy and that's scary and that's dangerous. It leaves the Rafael Hernandez airspace. Apparently, at this point, we have a Department of Homeland Security border uh, protection plane filming it move. And the part that I didn't know about this video that you can clearly see at the end is that this sucker goes into the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, no way does this happen. And then and then he comes back out comes back up. I'm sorry to steal your thunder there, man. I got too excited. Comes back up. And, like, oh my god. So that it becomes a USO, you know, unidentified submerged object at that point. And, you know, uh, that's that, that's crazy. Now, you have to think, well, um, okay, maybe it's a, you know, top secret 
military experimental drone or, you know, flying torpedo. We know these things exist. Maybe the Navy is, is experimenting because they're open about doing this anyway. Transmedium transportation, you know, dating back to the 40s, you read news reports about the Navy wanting a flying submarine. So could it be, you know, something like that? Sure. But why is the military endangering their own, you know, airspace of, you know, commercial and, you know, public airliners like i could see them experimenting but why are you causing such a hassle and safety hazard for your own citizens you know in the in the process there's a better safer way to do it that could avoid you know planes that are full of 150 people you know <laughs> so you got to like juggle that also you have to be open to the fact that the video is completely fake i lean towards it's not um it seems to have all the hallmarks, legitimacy. The, I mean, this is a 150. This is a, there's a one. There is. You can read it online. Uh, you sent it to me. Um, there's a 159 page analysis. Holy shit. Of the, of the art here itself, and like they go through. There are here, acknowledgments. There are letters here, FOIA letters to the Department of the Air Force. There. There's documentation here that, you know, the video is real. Um, the, the object itself is estimated to actually not be that large, five feet, maybe seven feet. Um, the speed of this object is also caught my eye as not very fast, 80 to 100 miles an hour. Okay. Uh, when it strikes the water, it's estimated to hit the water at 110 miles an hour. Now, anything, you, if you hit... With a, if you're in your car, you know, your Prius, you're driving along, and you hit a body of water at 109 miles an hour, it's going to mess your car up. Like, it's essentially like hitting a wall, essentially. I mean, things are going to break, fly off, debris. But the fact that this thing is observed hitting the water at 109 miles an hour, and then bloop, like coming back and being cool and like moving and still functioning, that's okay, that's interesting, you know, like we don't, something you see every day. Yeah, that's such a good point, man. And, and even at the end of the video, we see that when it comes out of the water, it either breaks into two objects or it meets up with something else, which is like, right. I, I just, this, I, I don't understand how this video could not be bigger than it is. Uh, I, I don't know. It just, it faded, it faded. And I don't know how that could happen. Now, in the report that I just brought up, they, they, they offer the possible explanation that what we're seeing is a heat register reflection off the water because it's so close to the water. It's, the heat register is reflect, reflect, reflecting through the infrared camera. So we're at, it's, a, it's a mirage of, of two images, but they're not able to prove that that's exactly what we're seeing. So the possibility is open that either it meets up with a second object or it actually splits into two two objects now alone this case is 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 confusing but when you look at other cases the nimitz included where they observed a uso on top of a ufo uh and you look at other cases of 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 ufos flying near bodies of water above bodies of water or into bodies of water there are a lot of them and it seems to mimic what we're seeing in this video, supposedly from the government. 
in season two of the basement office, we have a whole episode dedicated to USOs. Oh, cool. So you're, you're tackling that. You have to. I mean, this yeah. is such an underreported part of ufology or UFO history that doesn't get covered often. There's maybe one or two books on it, but yeah. these reports are almost more astounding. I mean, I, I can think of the Shag Harbor incident being one. Um, mm-hmm. My UFO incident happened over a body of water. Um, right. Yeah, it's more common than I think people think. It blew me. Uh, so in season, in episode two of season one, which is about flying saucers, Nick blew my mind because we're, we were analyzing the Brazilian Navy saucers. And he said, hey, just so you know, this isn't like isolated, like UFOs seen above or in bodies of water. They're called USOs. And it's like a thing. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're in the water now. <laughs> And the more I read about it, I was like, holy crap, like water is playing a key role, it seems, in a lot of sightings. I don't know what that is, but it does. It's it's worth looking at, I think. It's a very, um, I think, important part of all this that a lot of people don't understand. And you did mention um, the Tic Tac event. Now, we have Commander Fravor, the pilot who first went up and intercepted this object, saying there was something in the water 50 times bigger than the tic-tac that he saw and the water below was like bubbling something was going on it was uh, the the water where the thing was under the water and according to this official navy pilot testimony the top of the water was um disturbed it was being disturbed and in a, almost white froth and one of the smaller tic-tacs was hovering zipping above directly above this unidentified submerged object what is that you know i mean was it controlling the tic-tac we also know that there was more than one tic-tac again we're seeing such a condensed small version of the video where the radar operators are saying they were tracking tons of these things yeah 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 they were a lot of uh radar uh registries were happening of multiple objects now you know, I'm open to the possibility that what happened in 2004 was a top secret uh, exercise where, unbeknownst to the Navy, they were kept in the dark. Hey, let's send in our new awesome shit and let's see how our current modern pilots react to it. Let's see if we can evade radar. Let's see if we can evade flight patterns. Let's see how, you know, uh, an enemy, a potential enemy modern fighter unit would react to our new special awesome thing uh, and keep these guys in the dark about it because so they can re- we can observe them react in real time you know maybe, maybe that maybe it was that kind of uh of of thing but you know when you've got astrophysicists and and you know top minds analyzing the tic tacs and saying these suckers are moving at speeds that no human could survive and then you got to start going like, okay, what's – then what? <laughs> then what? Well, and my only argument to that, Stephen, is I've had the actual radar operator tell me, hell no. Another branch of the military isn't going to test something in our airspace during training exercises. That would be – preposterous it would be so dangerous i understand like the element of surprise and not knowing would be the best way to test these pilots and the navy overall like send it in and see how they react to these things but again we go back to 
that is a huge threat to our pilots. Even if it was a test, do, do we think that they would put the pilots in harm's way um, just to see how they would react to something like this? I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, I, there is a testimony that uh, one of the Tic Tacs was approaching approaching one of the F-18s and the pilot was saying, it's engaging. It's engaging me. Like, basically, this thing is engaging me as a threat. Uh, that's not something to take lightly, man. Like, this is our military. These are our, our men and women in uniform who put their lives on the line. And when they feel like something is engaging them, uh, then that's serious business. You know, like, we need to take it seriously. We can't just dismiss it as like, oh, okay, that was just, you know, a seagull. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Well, in terms of um, this new age we live in with UFOs, now we have uh, Tom DeLonge and To the Stars Academy working with the former ATIP director on looking at this stuff. And it has. It's gone mainstream like never before. Disclosure. I- I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that's a thing? Um, will the government ever admit that UFOs exist? Um, will they ever come forward and say what they know about it? What do you think on this this word disclosure? I think the government and military have already admitted UFOs are real. I mean, uh, by definition, uh, when you've got the Department of the Navy saying what you're seeing in these videos is unidentified aerial phenomenon. Wait, they're, they're releasing statements saying these are ufos and now they're not saying these are aliens you know they're not they're not saying extraterrestrial biological entities are flying these things they're uh, they're saying these are ufos we're the military and we don't know so i think that's happened disclosure now i know i think what you're getting at is that we some people think or opine that we are in a a time where the government and the military and the people that were in the shadows are finally say, dropping the curtain a little bit and saying, like, okay, little by little, let's let the public know what's going on. You know, not all at once, but just little by little, this slow drip of information. And, dude, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, do know I do know that if that was true, that theory was true, that, yes, the government and military has known and knows – and, and for some we- reason, let, we need to let the public in on some of this. This is probably how they would do it. Little by little, little every four or five months, something drops. Because you can't just dump decades, if not centuries, of information into the general public's lap and say, here you go, you know? <laughs> it's right. It's like your body going into shock when you enter cold water. Like, how would we continue... Uh, with society if we knew that everything would change. I mean, religion, science, um, humanity, history, everything would change if they just, boom, here's everything, you know? Only if they're alien, though. If, you know, if if the end game of all of this, what you want to call disclosure, ends in alien or interdimensional, then yeah, uh, um religion, uh, history books, uh, a lot of things are going to be seen differently, are going to be flipped on their head a little bit. Um, I'm of the opinion that modern, where we are now, most people are going to go, whoa, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I think we don't give humanity credit sometimes. Yeah, 
I don't think I, I think in the '90s, if you watch a lot of sci-fi in the '90s, the way uh, pe- uh, people, um, entertainers, writers, artists thought people would react, you see pandemonium in the streets of New York, like people running around and losing their minds. And uh, I think now, years later, I think most people would be seen like, "Oh, sweet, let me get an Instagram of this," you know? <laughs> you know, like I think people's minds. Uh, the way of thinking has changed. And honestly, I think that's the key. Let's just pretend that I believe wholeheartedly in such a thing as uh, alien UFOs. Let me entertain that. I think beyond physical evidence, being able to look up in the sky and seeing, let's say, a saucer, and then the government saying, yes, Steve, what you are indeed looking at is an alien UFO from another galaxy. On top of that, it's how my brain works. Because I think about how my brain worked when I saw my UFO, and it was wonder and panic, kind of like when Elliot first meets E.T. in the cornfield. That, oh, like that, you know, that's how it was. But since then, there is, I, don't, I don't look back with, at that memory with panic anymore. I look back with wonder and something I can't really put my finger on. To be honest with you, to Nick Pope in the episode, I said something personal, something that feels personal, but it's an an emotional uh, thought. It's it's I don't know. I know there are people like Steve Greer who who talk about like the mind and emotional and spiritual connections. And uh, if I'm just like spitballing here, um, that's something that needs to be refined. for that connection to really happen. There seems to be this movement as of late of um, CE5, I guess they call it, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, where humans using whatever, consciousness, um, something, to initiate contact with these UFOs, no matter what they are, interdimensional, alien, uh, whatever, military, um, using the mind to try to communicate with these things, which is, it's interesting um, it's something I I am just learning about and uh, looking at, but yeah, maybe this does have a lot more to do with us than it does anything out there. I don't know. I mean, right now it sounds like you and I are writing the next Spielberg movie. I mean, at the way we discuss it, I mean, and in a lot of ways, it's still science fiction because there's little to no science fact behind it. And as such, as a journalist, a documentary filmmaker. I have to put that stuff on the back burner and say, okay, if and when, if and when, I'll be willing to bring this back up. But uh, until then, like, let's just focus on what we know because that's the easiest stuff to, to digest and observe. And I think that's what you're doing with the basement office. So uh, you mentioned USOs. Is there anything else you can tease to us about season two and what you're going to be looking at? Anything you'd be willing to share? Okay, okay, I won't tell you the topic of this episode, but we we tackle something that you that has no evidence really. <laughs> and we talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> uh in one episode um but we talk about it in from a like a pop culture point of view. Okay, I'll give you one clue of a, of another episode. Wunderwaff. I'm going to leave the audience with that. I love it, man. I love it. Um well, Stephen, where can we find everything you're up to, man? When can we expect Basement office. Basement office right now is on hold uh, during you know quarantine and coronavirus lockdown uh, for multitude of reasons. When this all dies down, so uh, 
I'm not. I don't want to overpromise, but I, you know, two three weeks from now, I'm hoping F1 slips out there. But uh, be patient, everyone. It's coming, and it's awesome. Like I love it. Like season two is the bomb. I just can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, for my stuff, like my personal stuff that I work on, you go to stephengreenstreet.com. Uh, basically, everything that I've worked on, including the basement office, is there. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, your passion and excitement alone is what I think we need in this topic. It often lacks that um, because we don't have answers and we don't have that one case that's going to break the whole thing open. But I'm sure you could agree if one of these UFO cases is authentic and is, let's say, alien, um, that's enough for us to rest on is that one case. So. I hope you keep doing this. Um, it's invigorating. It's exciting. It keeps me going. And thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. And of course, man. Thank you for having me. is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.